Welcome to Stars Matter, a recruiting podcast from The Athletic. I'm Mitch Light, a college football editor with The Athletic, and I'm joined by Ari Wasserman, our national recruiting writer at The Athletic. Ari, we've got some new listeners today. Our show is usually behind the paywall as part of The Athletic's Audio Plus content on Apple Podcasts. But today, this show is free for all to download on the Andy Staples Show and Friends feed. Ari, since we've got some new listeners, why don't you tell them what Stars Matter is all about? You know, I was actually kind of uh, thought it was funny that they put the show behind the paywall because I'm sure there's people who would pay not to listen to what I have to say. Uh, But I am super excited about the idea of exposing this podcast to a more general listenership and hopefully that will get people uh, more intrigued uh, moving forward about what we're doing. But basically, we're at the point now where recruiting is mainstream discussion point. Ten years ago, if you thought about recruiting, you thought you were a super fan who uh, only subscribed to message boards and read things on online and at places that you had to pay for, and only the biggest nerds cared about recruiting. But everybody does now. And uh, now that it's in mainstream visits, commitments, recruiting rankings, all that is out there, Mitch and I uh, work tremendously hard, Who he's my editor, if you didn't know that, um, to put out interesting recruiting stories uh, in print on The Athletic have now taken the journey of doing a podcast where we discuss recruiting at a great length and not just who's going where or who's visiting where or rankings and trying. We analyze philosophy. Uh, We analyze uh, the reasons for things happening, the future. We talk about recruiting and giving context to the way that these teams are building their rosters. And we try to do it in an in-depth way that isn't really out there much. So like today, for instance, we'll be talking about who's a bigger idiot, uh, Dan Mullen or Jimmy Lake. And we'll be discussing what that means for the future of those programs. And it's not just like who's going where, because that stuff is boring. We try to break down all the information out there and create context and discuss college football in a more interesting level. So thank you for joining us and forgive Mitch for sounding like a robot in the intro. He sounds like a human usually. Thanks, Ari. <laughs> you said download. What is download? <laughs> and, and what you know, we signing days coming up in about what six weeks. So we're going to be we're yes. going to have weekly episodes leading up to the. I guess we still call it the early signing period. It's really the normal signing period, the regular signing period, and then we'll have weekly episodes up through the traditional signing period in February. So we're going to be here every week, and then we're going to go beyond that. We're I think the plan is to go year round talking, recruiting. And as Ari just mentioned this week, we're going to talk Dan Mullen, Jimmy Lake. Whenever a coach says something, quote-unquote, interesting slash stupid about recruiting, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk Notre Dame, Ohio State recruiting, how they're battling in Ohio. We pulled some questions out of Ari's mailbag, which is was published yesterday. His This Week in Recruiting is on the website this week. And one more thing before we go on, one bit of housekeeping. If you want to listen to previous episodes of Stars Matter. We started this in late August, right before the season started. You can go by subscribing to the Athletics Audio Plus content on Apple Podcasts or by subscribing to the Athletic. Ari, before we talk about recruiting, I believe well this is this is recruiting. I believe this is your first week with the nanny. You had a four star nanny that you had signed. She flipped to a better household with better facilities. You signed a three star nanny that you're hoping to develop but you never know until you get someone on campus. Has this nanny panned out? Is she a bust? She's on the other side of that door, so I don't so know. So don't speak too loud. <laughs> um, she is a three-star nanny with a ton of heart who has developed into a first-round draft pick. Now, this is only day two, <laughs> but things are going really, really well. And the first time in a month and a half, you've said, can we do the podcast at 1245 on a Wednesday? And here we are. Perfect. Right on schedule. So, like, that is a good thing. So, still so the message boards were killing you when you lost your four-star nanny, but now this looks like it worked out. It looked, yeah, I mean. So far. I, I didn't recruit well enough in terms of offering her okay, everything Dan. that the okay, other Dan school. Mullen. No, no, Dan Mullen would be like, who cares? <laughs> we, had a, we had a nanny signed. The, the nanny flipped to another family because they were going to pay her more. So we had to sign another nanny, and now this nanny is playing up to uh, the other nanny's rankings. Good. That's so good that doesn't make me a good coach. It just means that I was bad at recruiting the first time. I'm just a good developmental coach. Sounds good. Um, before we go on to Dan Mullen and Jimmy Lake, which we're going to talk about, we're going to hit some, some just some of the notable commitments. This was actually probably, we might have talked about this last week, but Justin Martin, four-star quarterback, 
to UCLA. Previous Cal commitment at the time before he committed number 20 was the highest rated quarterback on the board. You spoke to him yesterday for today's This Week in Recruiting. The day after he committed to UCLA, he went out and threw 13 touchdown passes in a win for his Inglewood High School team. You can argue whether that's ethical, normal, the nice thing to do, but the dude threw 13 touchdown passes in a game. Yeah, that's all the comments on the story are well. Right, I saw that. Sportsmanship. So it's like, okay. Um, apparently in California, or the state of California, you can style points matter the same way they matter in in college football to a certain extent. And I get that if you're up by like 80 at halftime, you probably did your job. But um, it just is an interesting thing because it's not something that you see every day. And, you know, now as we talked about a lot on this show and, and both in the mailbags and some of the writing, quarterback position is a commodity. And – now, most of the quarterbacks are off the board. It's November. That makes sense because you're only, what, six weeks away from the early signing period. But it's been like this for a good month and a half. I mean, quarterbacks have been off the board since the summertime. So, you know, Justin Martin was a good example. He had opportunity. Um, he was picking between Michigan, uh, Cal, where he was previously committed, uh, Ole Miss and UCLA. And all of those schools would have taken him. So it didn't matter that he waited this long in the process. But I think that there's a case to be made that if you're really good or at least a top 20 quarterback in the country, you might be even better served to wait because then teams get desperate. And at the end of the process, you might be able to weasel your way, not weasel. You might be able to work your way into a really good position. Now, last year's example of that was Jackson Dart, and he was some random 300 ranked in the 300s out of Utah quarterback, and now he's like the starter at USC and turned out to be a top 100 player by the end of the process. So I don't know if that really counts because he was actually really good. But there is sort – like I'm very excited to see what happens to Zion Branch, right. who I think is ranked in the 30s right now and is the highest-rated quarterback. I think he's in the 40s. Oh, yeah, he, there's, he, I believe he's the only top 45 quarterback who was uncommitted. Yeah, he's, he's in the 34. 40s. Is he? Okay. You wrote about oh, him today. He, Oh, I'm sorry. I called him Zion Branch. That's the safety at Bishop Gorman. Yes. <laughs> who's a top 50 player. Uh, Zion Turner's his I, name, yes, right? I knew it was Zion. Okay. I uh, Sorry, there are a lot of prospects, and sometimes it's hard to not have uh, slips like that. But he is the number 34 quarterback, 556 overall player. Um, he's got offers from Arkansas, FIU, Coastal Carolina, Kentucky, Louisville, Miami, Maryland, Texas A&M, West Virginia, some of those programs have quarterbacks committed, some don't. But I'm very curious to see what happens to a stock, what kind of offers will come in, because every team every year needs to take at least one quarterback. If the top 33 quarterbacks are off the board, you know, it's just how many. We should run that story again that we did last year where we decide or we go find which power five teams left don't have quarterback committed and then try to break down the recruiting yeah, or, or, if, or if one of those kids, that one of the top 30 kids decommit in a school's a power five schools left without one, then they're really going to be scrambling. And yeah, so, like yeah. So that, Zion, Zion Turner might be a really, really good player, but I also think it's possible that because he hasn't committed yet and where he's ranked, he might end up in a better situation than he otherwise would have had he committed six months ago. Yes, like, like big men in college basketball in the spring signing period. They typically get uh, they sign with schools sort of above their ranking. Uh, a couple other, Dan Key, uh, four-star wide receiver from Lexington, Kentucky to Kentucky. This is the second straight year Kentucky signed the number one player in the state. There's a little bit of an asterisk there because Gavin Wimsett was the number one player, the quarterback who signed with Rutgers in the 2022 class, but he enrolled at Rutgers early, and in, 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 so he reclassified. Thank you for adding that to my story because I realized just now when you were talking about it that I forgot to write that. Yeah, well, you that's, added what, that's that, what I'm right? here for, clean up the mess. Yeah, yeah Dane Key – Goes to the same high school as uh, Jaeger Burton last year um, in Lexington. Obviously, Lexington is where the University of Kentucky is. That's an important thing. And their top-rated player in their class right now is Keontae Goodwin. And he is in Charlestown, Indiana, which is basically Louisville. So he might technically be in Indiana, but I think that you could view him at that five-star offensive tackle as a Kentucky prospect. But I'm really impressed with what Kentucky's doing. It yeah, now they need doing. to hold on to Goodwin. He's been yeah, he's yes, been fl- yes. he's been flirting lately. He's been t- he went to Alabama, Michigan State. Uh, so you know, we'll but Kentucky's see. a really really good football program now. Like it's it takes time, and we've talked about this a lot. But what does it take? 
to go from a middling program or lower tier program to elevate and it's time, patience, and recruiting at a high level in comparison to what you were doing before. And I think you can make the case that Kentucky has put in the work and has gradually broken down walls over the years and has become a legitimate middle tier SEC team when they were the bottom of the uh, of the pack. Yes. Uh, when Mark Stoops was the head coach. Yeah. So I, I was Mark there. For the last game of the Joker Phillips era, and it was cold and raining, but to see where they are now, there was literally probably a thousand people at kickoff on a day that Vanderbilt won, I think, forty-one nothing. And to see where they are now, and see if you agree with this, like we we could look up the numbers, but just following Kentucky, you know, following the SEC, th- there's different ways to build. Sometimes a new coach comes in and starts recruiting really well off the bat, enjoys some success in building off that. Kentucky's recruiting is really. O- Top level, or their their recruiting improvements is really more recent. Now they, they've sure they've gotten some guys from in state, and they we you you've written about their Ohio success, but it seems like they got to where they are by development, patience, and just and just having older teams. And now after like six seven years, they're really starting to break down some walls recruiting. Look at how many top three hundred guys they're signing now as compared to three or four years ago. That seems to be the path that he's taken. Would you agree with that? Yeah, what I would say about Kentucky is that they identified a plan. They knew what their plan would be when they got there. They understood that their plan would take time to develop. They were at a place where they were afforded time to see that plan through. And then they saw it through. And now it's working. And that plan isn't a four or five or six year plan. Or I mean, a a one or two year plan. That's a five, six, seven year plan. So like now that you're past that five year point, like Mark Stoops has put themselves in a position now where they can recruit top 25 classes on an annual basis every year when that team was an afterthought it's 10 years ago. And they and can expect they to get the best in-state kids where that wasn't the case. They, five sh- years they can ago. expect to sign top 25 classes every single year. Yeah. And, and that plan, and I think it, I, I just, for some people who haven't read your stuff on it or haven't listened to us, that plan is pretty simple. They've got a coaching staff with a ton of Ohio roots. So they went to Ohio because Ohio state, which recruits nationally can't and won't get, they're just not going to sign all the top Ohio kids because they're going elsewhere. So they were, they made a living getting those second tier, those kids at Ohio State that just Ohio State might have passed on a little bit. That that Michigan hasn't done a good job in recent years recruiting. That Penn State hasn't done a good job on. So they have made that's that's really the the, the way. They, they and and when you say second tier kids, that sometimes means top one hundred and fifty players. Sure. Yeah. Like Ohio State is recruiting a lot of national prospects who are five-star top 50 national players. So if they don't have for every single time Ohio state signs a five-star prospect or gets a commitment from a five-star prospect in a different state, Vince Merrow, the recruiting coordinator at Kentucky does a fist pump in his office. Yes. Cause that, that means that's one more Ohio prospect that Ohio state won't have room for. And they've gone into Ohio and they've attacked it like it's a home territory because people don't realize this, but they can sell the SEC in Ohio. And I think Lexington's only a three hour or two and a half hour drive away from Columbus. It's an hour from Cincinnati. It's like it is basically in Ohio. So it is a very good strategy. And what they've done is they've attacked the prospects that should be going to Michigan State or had been going to Michigan State. Michigan. And Michigan and other places like that. And I'll be very interested to see how well they do moving forward because Mel Tucker seems to be a coach that's on the ball here. So uh, Mel Tucker did it in a different way, which was attacking the transfer portal and nailing all the people that he brought in from the transfer portal. Colton Pouncey, our Michigan State writer, had a really good story on that. I don't know how sustainable that is, Mitch. I agree. Um, But the reason why... I believed in Mel Tucker from the beginning of his hiring process was because he has Ohio roots. He worked for Nick Saban, but he used to work at Ohio State. And he knows the state of Ohio very well. And he was going to follow that Mark D'Antonio plan, which was do exactly what Kentucky's doing. Get those second tier players that Ohio State's not getting. Bring in three-star prospects that Ohio State doesn't have room for. Develop the heck out of those guys, and every three or four years win the Big Ten potentially. Yeah. And Mark D'Antonio did that better than anybody has ever done that. They beat the most talented team in Ohio State history on their home floor with their backup quarterback, uh, or their home field with their backup quarterback, and went to the playoff in 2015. I was at that game. Um, that was one of the most insane things I've ever seen in my entire life. And D'Antonio, in my opinion, was one of the top five coaches in college football for that stretch while he was doing that. And I think, like I said two years ago, that I would rather start a Big Ten program in Michigan with Mel Tucker than Jim Harbaugh, and I was laughed out of the building in the comments section. And I got to go find that. And you might have even edited that story. 
Um, and now the, that's coming to fruition because he seems to understand and get it. Now, I'll be very interested to see how long Mel Tucker ends up at, at Michigan State if he continues to recruit like this. Uh, or not, excuse me, recruit win. like this, but yes. win like this. It's it's uh, um, it's almost counterintuitive. That is Michigan, he actually a LSU candidate? I mean, who, who knows? I, I think the more he wins, as we know, Scott Woodward, the, the AD at LSU, likes, likes the, to, to go for the big swing. So uh, who knows what makes a guy tick? Um, you know, he left Colorado after one year, basically because Michigan State what pretty much doubled his salary after going after him and not getting him the first time. But it's almost counterintuitive to your point. Like it's it's better for Michigan State that Ohio State's so awesome. Like maybe it doesn't help them if they ever want to like win a national championship, but they will have more success. Other Big Ten teams recruiting the state of Ohio because Ohio State is so good that they recruit nationally. A um, couple other commitments I want to talk about real quick. Aaron Anderson. A wide receiver from Edna Carr High School in New Orleans had been committed to LSU, flipped to Alabama. He's actually the only uh, LSU decommit since Ed Ogeron was dismissed or announcement announced that he will not be coming back. Now, there might be others, but right now he's the only one. And then Nicholas Anderson, wide receiver, uh, flipped from Oregon to Oklahoma. He's the younger brother of uh, Rodney Anderson, former uh, really good Oklahoma running back there. So... Um, not a surprise, Alabama and Oklahoma signing top, you know, four-star wide receivers. I want to do a story on this, and I don't know, like, maybe Brody Miller, our LSU writer, is working on this, but I got a mailbag question this week about how in trouble LSU might be in and if it could be set back a few years because of what's happening um, with Ed Orgeron and the class. And then I looked at LSU's class right now. LSU's class ranks number 12 nationally. And of those 14 commitments they have in that 12th ranked class, nine are from the state of Louisiana. And then I went and I looked, um, and we'll see how it all maps out. Maybe there'll be another decommitment or two, but LSU either has commitments or is the crystal ball 100% favorite to land the top nine players in their own state. And I wonder the last time that happened. Uh, the last time a, a program landed the top nine players in their own state. Any program, I, even if they're any not, program anywhere ever. Right, even if the, the ninth players ranked seven hundred, you know, it's yeah. Because the, the ninth all, player in this case yes. is ranked one hundred and thirteen. So like these are all national high end four star prospects and better. Right, and if and I don't know if this is how it's going to end up. Right, all those crystal balls could have been because Ed Ogeron was there, and and you just. Obviously, we don't know what's going to happen. Walker Howard, the quarterback, has been the the anchor of their class, has been you know flirting around. He went to Notre Dame, so we'll see what happens there. Yeah, but you never know what's going to happen with the way it's set up. But like this is like a picture of recruiting perfection. All right, Ari, don't you think it's time? Yeah, no, it's yeah, and it's of course they're going to be fine if this is what's happening. You're going to get the top nine players in your own state, and they're all national prospects. That's insane. Uh, people always we, – we use the phrase – we might be guilty of using it too much with certain schools about that X school X recruits itself. I think that's, that's true in a lot of schools to a certain level. But then you're not winning a national championship by quote-unquote recruiting itself. Like there's a baseline amount of players you're going to get because you're the University of Georgia, University of uh, Alabama, or LSU. But to truly win an elite level, you need to go two or three steps above that, and that's what – Kirby Smart does. That's what Nick Saban does. That's what Ed Orgeron has done. So, but the cool thing about those some of the schools is that I 100% agree with you, Mitch. Um, in order to win a national championship, not only do you have to take care of home, you have to expand nationally and get the top players in the country out of other people's recruiting territories. But the good thing about LSU and Alabama and the SEC is that those schools don't have to travel as far to get the national prospects, which is why their SEC in general has always got 10 teams in the top 25. Because it's like recruiting nationally for LSU means getting a kid out of Houston, which was what, a five-hour drive away from Baton Rouge? And it's like getting a five-star kid out of Houston is a lot harder for a team like USC or Florida or Ohio State, because those are legitimate flights. And like the hotbeds of, what are the hot... Like Alabama can go into Atlanta. Yeah, well, and is that, three or four is that recruiting nationally, or is that recruiting locally, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, it's regionally, but it's when you've got the best, maybe the second or third best talent region in the country, a three or four hour drive from you, and it's outside your state, 
Now, obviously, he's going up against Kirby Smart in Georgia, and everyone recruits there. But I totally agree with your point. Pretty much, you got your outliers like you know Texas A&M, Arkansas, South Carolina, and Florida are kind of you know the westernmost and easternmost points. But for the most part, you can get almost anywhere in SEC country in a five-hour, six, five or six-hour drive. Yeah. So it's like to me, that's what makes what Ohio State has done so impressive because what they're doing at this level is not driving to these places. I mean, they're recruiting Atlanta, they're recruiting Florida, they're recruiting Houston, Dallas, California, and none of those places are anywhere near them. And part of the reason why is, as you said, some places recruit to themselves, but I also think that's a symptom of why there aren't more powerhouse programs in the North. It's like when you look at the top 10 programs in college football, how many of them are above the Mason-Dixon line? Yeah, it's also cold. You know, you're getting kids from Florida, you're getting kids from Houston, Texas, up to Columbus, Ohio for a game in November. And it gets a little chilly up there. Yeah. All right. Ari, it's time. It's time. Low-hanging fruit for you. You wrote a column about Dan Mullen. I was put on this earth to write that, by the way. Yes, I know. We, We have... You've written a lot about Dan Mullen. We've talked a lot about Dan Mullen. You wrote this. I'm going to preface this as saying, we know Dan Mullen wasn't suggesting that they're not recruiting now. That when he said, we'll talk, we said, it's the middle of the season, we'll talk recruiting after the season. He just did not want to talk about recruiting because it's not a, it's a sore subject in those parts. So again, we know Dan Mullen's assistants are making calls and they're off week, they're recruiting prospects, they're, they're doing all they think they should be, should be doing to lure prospects to the great University of Florida. Let me just take a... But it's the, way, it's the way he handled the question in the way he was dismissive and arrogant about it. And it did not go over well anywhere except in Athens, Georgia. Okay. I re- I'm going to cut you. you. You have 40 minutes. To, no, I'm just kidding. I have 40 minutes to do this now. <laughs> um, I don't even know where to... Because then we're going to talk about your friend Jimmy Lake. Because I don't even know where to begin with this. Um, I don't know. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably are familiar with what happened. But just in case you aren't, we have to tell you after the uh, greatest outdoor cocktail, world's largest outdoor cocktail party, 34, seven went over Georgia. Somebody asked Kirby smart for some reason, what he thinks about recruiting as if that's not an obvious question, but Kirby smart said, guys, if you don't recruit, there's no coach out there who can out coach recruiting. I don't care who you are. The best coach to ever coach the game um, Better be a good recruiter because no coaching is going to out-coach players. Anyone will tell you our defense is good because we've got good players. Spending time on the phone, spending time with people at your house, spending time with the people on your campus. I'm not with my family when I'm doing that. My family sacrifices so I can go and spend time with other people's families so that there are good players on our team. That's 25% valuation, 50% recruiting, and the other 25% is coaching. If you don't recruit, you have no chance. Then some people took that as shade to Dan Mullen. Did you take that as shade? Not really. I mean, it might have been, but I think he was just honest. And he was almost, he's admitting the obvious, but... That's my mission statement in life. Yeah, he doesn't... See, Dan Mullen wants people to think he's the smartest guy in the room. And we, we both think Dan Mullen's a really good offensive football coach. Kirby Smart doesn't care what we think of him in his football acumen. He wants to win the national championship, and he doesn't care that he's just saying, I know we're good because we got good players. And that's rare in coaching, that, that, that his ego allows yeah. him to do that. Two days later, Dan Mullen was asked a question about recruiting. His response is, we're in the season now. We'll do recruiting after the season. When it gets to recruiting time, we can talk about recruiting, which was a dismissive way of a- answering that. And if, if you took that quote as them not recruiting right now, that is the wrong way to take it. And I wrote in the, in the column that I wrote, let's be clear about one thing before we go deeper. Mullen's quote has been taken out a bit out of context. He didn't mean that Florida hasn't been recruiting and won't start recruiting until after the season. There are Florida coaches recruiting as we speak. Mullen's intention was to be dismissive of a recruiting question on November 1st, six weeks before their early signing period, and that could be the result of two things. One, that he has uh, that he knows his team is getting smoked in the recruiting trail and doesn't want to talk about it. Or two, recruiting was a topic beneath his brain power during the regular college football season. So let me tell you something that really rubbed me the wrong way. We'll talk about it later is not the right attitude. So we all can agree on that, right? But he said, we'll do recruiting after the season. When it gets to recruiting time, we can talk about recruiting. So I don't care if you took that quote out of context, Mitch. When you say when we get to recruiting time, 
It's always recruiting that time, That is Ari. an implication that you don't believe that every single freaking day you wake up in your job that it's time to go out and recruit kids. And my breakdown of head coach's responsibilities has been always been 75% recruiting, 10% program building, 5% strength and development, and 5% whatever. You know, game game planning. If that added up to 100, you can add a few percentages here or there. But the bulk of the responsibility of a head coach his job at the college level is to recruit players. That's all it is. And anybody at any level, I don't care if you're at Arkansas State or you're at Alabama, if you were even 5% dismissive of the importance of that, whether or not you're trying to, to do that or not, you don't get it. And the thing that I don't understand the most about this is, is that I learned a lot of what I understand about recruiting by covering Urban Meyer for almost a decade, Okay. I listened to him speak about it every day. I asked him questions about it for 10 years. This guy learned from that guy. And I don't understand the disconnect because Urban Meyer would jump in front of a car if somebody said that recruiting wasn't important. That guy woke up every single morning dying to go out and recruit. And if you are a head coach who doesn't enjoy it, I get it. There are aspects of everybody's job that they don't like doing. For instance, you probably don't like fixing my typos, but you have to do it anyway because it's an aspect of your job. But if your least favorite thing about the job that you have would be editing, then I think you might not be in the right career field or at the right level. So if Dan Mullen doesn't like recruiting, he should probably not be the head coach of a major college football program. And he's a great football mind. We've seen him compete at a high level against some very good football teams. Go coach in the NFL then, which it seemed like he wanted to do last year anyway. So I took offense to it. I think Florida fans took offense to it. I don't care whether or not you thought the the quote was taken out of context or not. It wasn't what he said. It was the attitude towards the most important aspect of his job, the dismissive attitude, and it can't be forgiven in my opinion. Very well said. And as we've said, he's not at a place where it's difficult to recruit to. He's at the University of Florida, a program which – should have no problem ever signing top 10 classes and with the right coach should be signing top five classes and urban Meyer when he was there signed two of the greatest recruiting classes ever so that is the frustration of Florida fans I think some most college football fans aren't rational but but the ones who are if you're at a certain school if you know Iowa fans don't they want to win games they want to win the big 10 but they don't really think they should be signing top five classes because they're University of Iowa in Iowa. Florida fans know they should be signing top five classes. And even the coaches who did not have success, like Will Muschamp did not do a good job there at Florida, but he recruited his ass off and signed really good players. Ron Zook recruited really good players. He got it. Jim McElwain, not so much. That's the frustration of Florida, and rightfully so. I understand why their fans are frustrated. Now, let's head... Are we done with Florida? Well, no, we're not done with Florida because I want to say one okay. other thing. Okay. What did they do when they won national championships, Mitch? They won two national championships in a three-year period during which they signed some of the greatest recruiting classes in the history of the sport. What is the disconnect, you think? I don't understand how a coach would be even... Listen, I'm not trying to be dramatic. You tell me if I'm being dramatic. But I think that you could make the case that he is not qualified for the job if that's how he views it. Like, it's that it's it's that bad. Like, I think that my my column that you edited, if you... Anybody who read it, thank you. If you haven't, I encourage you to do it. But I think on the tone level of what I wanted to write, I was a 6 out of 10. When I could have been a 10 out of... Like, that to me was tame. And and did you take it that way, or did you think that I was yeah. not? No, I thought it was fair. Like, I thought it was tame. It was, uh, tame's not the word I would use. I thought it was fair. Now, but I could have been more brutal, I, I think. would like to know what coaches say... I mean, the the actions speak for themselves. Look at their recruiting rankings. Look at the... Amount, and it's not just the rankings. You can sign a top 10 class, and that's good. But when you're trying to beat Georgia and Alabama... It's the lack of top 100 players, the lack of elite players. That's their biggest problem there. I, I would like to give Dan Mullen truth serum for five minutes to find out his real thoughts on it. Because what he says in public. I don't care what his what real thoughts are. He's getting smoked. 
I don't give a crap what his <laughs> real thoughts are. You can say whatever you want if it's successful, but you don't say that crap when you're losing. Not only are you losing on the field, you're getting your ass kicked in recruiting. It's not even switch, it's switch not even, Dan Mullen. Switch Dan Mullen. Kirby Smart is is Kirby Smart signing top two three classes at Florida? Yes. And the one thing about it too, which I mean, I think people know, but we don't necessarily say that much, is he's not at Florida ten years ago when Florida State is winning a national title. He's not there 25 years ago when Miami's one of the best programs in the country. He's at a time when the two in-state, other in-state Power 5 teams are mediocre to bad. And now we, we can go into the Nick Saban part about Alabama going and stealing players from there. But you're the University of Florida. Alabama shouldn't be signing whatever five top 50 guys, you know, the top five of the top 10 guys from your state. It just should not be happening. Yeah. I mean, listen, I understand that Alabama has made it a lot harder for Florida to sign classes. But I think I added this up in the story, Mitch, but in the 2022 class in general, um, let's go find this. In the 2022 class that's still being this assembled. It's good podcasting, by the way. It is. It's great podcasting. Looking it up and just reading your story. No, I'm just looking at the numbers here. In the 2022 okay. class that's still being assembled, Georgia has eight top 100 players. Florida has one. So I don't give a crap what somebody's saying. Like if Kirby Smart said, uh, we'll talk about recruiting at the end of the year, but he had the class that he had, I would accept that because he clearly is doing the right thing. It's in conjunction with poor results. And, yes. and it was, I mean, a, that, it was the a question before they even played the game. The reason right. why we're even talking about this is because everybody knows that Florida's not getting it done from a talent standpoint. Right. If this were, if this was, you know, you, you mentioned Mark D'Antonio earlier, the, Michigan State was winning Big Ten titles or competing, made the playoff, and, and was consistently good. We just kind of tipped our cap to D'Antonio and said, yeah, you're not signing top five classes, but you're, you beat Ohio State. You're beating Michigan every year. We tip your cap. Florida has been good under Dan Mullen. They were very good last year, but they're not as good as they should be, and they clearly took a step back this year after Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts moved on. So that's the problem. If you're winning, if you're winning nobody cares what your recruiting rankings are. When you're not, and it's been proven, it's it's unsustainable. You can't forever just keep overachieving. Look at look at everyone likes to talk about Matt Campbell at Iowa State. Oh, just to, you know, evaluation, evaluation, evaluation. Well, you got to be, you got to hit on everyone, and you got to win your close games because this year, no one's talking Matt Campbell. Like the whole, we had the the uh, selection show last night, the first rankings. I don't think the word Iowa State was mentioned. When they were a top 15 team. They're heartwarming stories, but they're not national championship stories. There's a difference, too. Yes. It's like if you can recruit a a top 30. And listen, Florida's the seventh most talented team in college football this year, so I don't want to put them in the same category as Iowa State. The dismissive attitude towards the most important aspect of his job is what I took exception to. And I get it. Recruiting is hard. Recruiting in Florida is hard. You have Alabama in there. You, You experienced it. It's hard. You had a decommitment. Your, your, yeah, your yeah, my nanny I mean, decommitted from us. You had, you had one scholarship offer, and, and I, tra- and I didn't even drop the, and I dropped the bag, and I still didn't get it. <laughs> I know, but seriously, I hope, like I hope your nil benefits are pretty. I don't good. want. There's one thing you'll never find on this show. You won't hear us piling on somebody who's having a hard time recruiting because we have an appreciation for how difficult it is. You know, we'll point it out. We'll discuss the ramifications of it. But we've spent the last 15 minutes talking about how Dan Mullen doesn't understand that. This is because of his comments in conjunction with it. You cannot be the head coach of Florida at Ohio State and ha- or I mean at a place like Florida. What did I say? You can't be a, the head coach at a place like Florida and have a dismissive attitude towards recruiting. You just can't. Yep. All right. Now to your second favorite coach, Jimmy Lake. But let's play a game after you're done. Which one was dumber? Okay. Jimmy Lake, who has was hired at Washington to replace his mentor, Chris Peterson, in large part because of his recruiting success as the assistant, as the defensive coordinator, first secondary coach and defensive coordinator at Washington. He's in his second full season as the head coach. The recruiting results have not been good. He's getting his ass kicked in recruiting by Oregon. By the way, a great, I've talked to Christian Capel, our Washington writer about this yesterday. Maybe the most underappreciated rivalry in the nation. These two schools hate each other. The problem has been, in the past 25, 30 years, they both haven't been good at the same time. If Washington and Oregon were both ever good at the same time, we would have an appreciation for this. But if Jimmy Lake keeps recruiting like he's recruiting, that's not going to happen. So at a press conference the other day, someone asked him, 
about Oregon being the recruiting rival. Here's what he said. That is way more pumped up than it is. Our battles are really the schools that we go against have academic prowess, like the University of Washington, Notre Dame, Stanford, USC. How come you didn't say Arizona, Ari? You're on my mind. Okay. We go with a lot we go with a lot of battles toe to toe all the way to the end with those didn't schools. say Vanderbilt either. So, so I think that's made ZTF, by the way, their outstanding defense. Uh, I, I think Christian told me his one of his other offers was Vanderbilt. So there you go. So I think that's made up and pumped up in the media's world, or pumped up in the world. He meant media's world. In our world, we battle more academically prowess teams, which is kind of ironic that he misused the word there when he's talking about uh, the academics of the University of Washington. That's just a load of BS because it's not true. They battle Oregon more than any – Oregon and USC pretty much more than any school – schools in recruiting. And Christian Capel, who I just mentioned, a Washington writer, did a ton of research about this, wrote a story today about the number of offers that they go out. And it's just Washington battles Oregon for recruits and Oregon is kicking Washington's ass. Oregon had, Washington had two defensive linemen so far, decommit Sir Mel's, great name by the way, and Ben Roberts, both decommitted and have committed to Oregon. And this is not the first time Jimmy Lake has said something that popped on your radar. He's talked about how the NFL guys love him because, you know, you just develop guys and, and you know, we just our recruiting rankings are going to be – our recruiting class is probably going to be last in the Pac-12, but we don't care because the NFL guys love us. And so we go from the very southeast of the country to the very northwest of the country, Ari, and another coach who does not subscribe to the Ari Wasserman theory of recruiting. <laughs> I'm looking at Ari right now on Zoom. He doesn't even know where to begin. He's flab- it is so stupid. I can't even begin to. When you suck at recruiting, you're in pain. Yeah, you're when you pain. suck in recruiting, the best thing to do is get up there on signing day and say, "NFL GMs love what we're doing. We develop guys here. Don't worry about the rankings." Because the the natural impulse of a human being when they lose is to make an excuse. And that excuse is the rankings don't matter. We're better at evaluating. Don't pay attention to the stars because they missed out on the stars. Oh, not to mention the fact that there were three top 10 players nationally in the state or in the country uh, that were in the Seattle area last year, and they only got one of them. But that's okay. Because they played yeah, and, and they all played. Who's a, dad, yeah. Played, yeah. 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 Sam, so, Sam so we can talk about the developmental process, but let's completely dismiss the fact that you got completely punched in the gut by a team that is in the Midwest. Okay. Um, for the two players that would have transformed your program. And then two, when you start going down the academic road, these are the roads that, listen, I don't know anything. Like you are Mr. Vanderbilt. You're smart. Your kid goes to Vanderbilt. I'll defer to you on the like academic prowess comment. But like, is Washington on par academically with those schools at all? No, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a good, it's a very good state school. But it's not like no, it's I mean, not I mean, Notre I mean, Dame. Like, dismiss, I, I did not mean to be dismissive of state schools at all. I think Cal's probably the, if you go by the rankings, Cal's probably Cal and UCLA are probably the top two state schools in the Pac-12, followed by Washington. Stanford, of course, is the rest. But as far as in the, the national rankings, Washington is not. Yeah, and, and I'm not dismissive of state schools either. Yeah. I went to one. It's nothing. It's not, right. there's nothing to be offended about. The thing about it is, there are schools that are better and are worse, just like everything else in life that are ranked high. Yeah. Is Washington ranked high? It's a good school. It's a solid it's not, school, but it's not. Yes, it's, it's not not a top twenty-five. It's not school. Notre it's Dame. Not, it, not Notre Dame. It's not Stanford. Northwestern, Vanderbilt. None of those. No, right. What is he talking about? Now, now Christian was fair in his call in his story today, where I posted yesterday. There were instances in recent years, especially when Lake was still a defensive coordinator, of Notre Dame of of. Washington beating Notre Dame when those were the last two schools standing for like two or three guys. So if we give him that, because he did say in there, we go with a lot of battles toe-to-toe all the way to the end. So yes, there have been cases when they have beaten Notre Dame in a Stanford for a kid. But the question was about, is Oregon a recruiting rival of yours? And to be dismissive of that, when that school is – Beating you in recruiting and stealing your commitments is absurd. I just do coaches say things and think that the reporters don't look stuff up. 
Like we're just like, oh, okay, they, they, okay, Jimmy, you're they're right. Tone deaf. They they live in they live in their own little world sometimes, and they're tone deaf. Okay, Jimmy, we'll take your word for it. You only go against Notre Dame. Okay. Not yeah, to not mention gonna we're not going to we're not going to notice the two four seven sports data. We're not going to notice that the the uh, two five star prospects that left the Seattle area last year went to Ohio State, which is another state school. Like, also your team stinks. <laughs> And, like, part of developing, I get it. Like, there are high NFL draft picks off mediocre teams all the time. Sure. But if you want to play the developmental card, then you better be 2015 Michigan State or Kentucky or a team or that's actually Iowa or a team that wins games. Like, your team is, like, 10 days removed from almost losing to Arizona, my my favorite team in the entire world, my alma mater. Right. That's barely even an assembled football team. <laughs> you lost to an FCS school. Don't hit me with developmental crap. Go out and do your job. That's what it is. And it's like, I don't know if I'd be the best athletic director or the worst, but like I would you'd be one. You'd be one of the other. There'd be no yeah. no middle ground. I'd be like, <laughs> no, you would fire because you think everyone sucks. You'd be you'd fire your coach like every two weeks. I would fire a you'd coach for not getting it. I think not getting it is worse than having bad results and trying. Would okay. you agree with that? Yeah. Like sure. showing a complete dismissive attitude towards the thing that you need to do to be successful, I think is worse than trying and losing. This is a good segue into another question. Is this the Drinkwitz question? Yeah, but I want but first we got to answer your question. I I almost say Jimmy Lake's comments were dumber because he meant what he said. Mullins were like taken out of context. Like I, I Mullins were like part of a bigger issue, but the actual comment that's not what he meant. I think Blake I'm with you. Meant what he said, and like I just got done writing a column about Dan Mullen on our website, like an hour before Lake opened his mouth, and like we both agreed, it's like you just you can't do two of these in one day. <laughs> <laughs> I was um, like, I was that was my first day back from paternity leave. The first day back from paternity leave, two coaches at major Power Five programs said the dumbest things I've ever heard about recruiting. And I, I don't even know what their salaries are, but they probably make a combined $12 million a year. That's what we call low-hanging fruit for you. Okay. Missouri, a program. And you brought up Eli Drinkwitz in your Dan Mullen comment column because after getting his ass kicked by Texas A&M, Drinkwitz in his press conference said, guys, we need to recruit, 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 recruit. Now, we both interpreted that as a little bit of a slap in the face to his current roster, but he gets it. He knows he needs better players, and he's, he's on the path to doing so. And two or three days later, he got a commitment from five-star wide receiver Luther Burden, former Oklahoma commit from East St. Louis, so basically an in-state prospect there. This was sort of a mailbag question, but big picture. Do you think for a, it's better for Missouri football – to get a commitment from five-star wide receiver Luther Burden or to win two extra games this year? I, I Obviously, I know your answer. Um, get the player to program. Like, I don't know what it's – so I went to Arizona, and I never I never really cared about their team because they stunk. And, like, I, I know that there are a lot of people – Who was the coach when you were there, Stoops? Mike Stoops, yeah. yeah. I And they were pretty good. Like, they didn't stink like they stink yeah. now. Like, they yeah. beat top ten that's, teams. That's hard to do. They went to bowl games. You know, I think Arizona is a very underachieving program. I think they could do very well in the long run. But I don't know. Do fans care if you're four and eight or six and six? Like, or is it the I same? Think in certain programs, there's a big difference between four and eight and six and six. What, yeah. There's not much of a difference between three and nine and five and seven, maybe. Because going to a bowl game matters for programs. Okay. I guess certain going to programs. a bowl game matters. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Okay. There's no different, you know. Eight and four and six and six is eight sort of a magical number. Is eight and four like and, and six and six different? Well, it depends on the program. But like, so let's, Missouri's Missouri. a good program. Okay. Missouri's a good barometer. They're, they're a program that expects to go to bowl games. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. Um, so I think you're, I'm uh, looking, I want to so, look at the record right now, real quick. First of all, I want to see what the, where they're at. Like what, what are they? Three so they're five? three, no, they're four and four. Okay. It's not a very good four and four though. Yeah. Look at their wins. Their wins are against Vanderbilt, which is the easiest win of all. Uh, Central Michigan, uh, Southeast Missouri, I think is what SEMO is, right? Southeast yes. Missouri State. Um, Do you know what town SEMO is in? I don't. If I if, if there's a million dollars right here, it would you you could look it up. Could you get no. it? No. 
You're Googling I, it right I'm here. I, I said no. I'm just looking at to okay. see where it is. Where is it? See if you can pronounce it. Google it and see if you can pronounce it. Cape Girardeau? Yeah, very good. Yeah, I went to Arizona. I can I can read. Um, I've never heard of that <laughs> place, though. It's it's real close to like Kentucky and Tennessee. Um, it's in southeast Missouri. But four and four, I guess you're on the precipice of a bowl. bowl. So I guess if some – but if you were to poll a 1,000 Missouri fans and say, would you rather make a bowl this year or would you rather have Luther Burden, like what would they say? I don't know. It's sort of like you talked about at the opening of this podcast. It's like how many people are that into recruiting? It's growing. Like if you, if, it's growing. But if you Missouri, I think they seat 70,000. So let's say it's a, it's a sunny day. It's a good crowd. There's 52,000 people at Missouri. At, uh, I should know the name of the stadium. Uh, Furrow Field, I think. If you polled them, how many people would know who Luther Burden is? And if they did... Well, then just change the really- phrasing, Mitch. You're getting caught up in semantics. I know. I Would know, you rather go so, to a bowl game this year or have the best wide receiver in high school football next year? I think most knowledgeable fans would rather have the best wide receiver in college football because this is a top 10 player. All, this yeah. isn't like a top 50 player. This is a, a we don't get this. You know, Missouri's going to sign top 100 players. Not every year. They're going to sign good players. They're not going to sign top 10 players but, very often. But even, even not just how good is he going to be on the team. I think also the benefit of getting him matters in terms of momentum in St. Louis. Like sure. if he if he like lived in Lakeland, Florida, like I don't think I, I still would take the player. I would take the player ten times out of ten. Like their quarterback, both Sam, their Sam Horn. Yeah. It's from Georgia. Yeah. It's from Georgia. That's a great get, but that doesn't necessarily build up yeah. any in-state recruiting. But also, the quarterback is a little bit more important than a receiver. Sure. If I'd rather, if you told me, uh, if I were Eli Drinkwitz and somebody said next year. You will lose all of your games, but at the end of the year, we will hand you Quinn Ewers. Are you the bag man? You're the bag no, man. No, no, I'm just saying, like in a personal trade, you'll go, yeah. you'll lose every game next year in embarrassing fashion, but at the end of that embarrassing fashion of campaign, we'll give you Quinn Ewers or Cade Klubnik or one of the top or Arch Manning. I'd be like, okay, trade. Like, I don't know if I would do that for a five star because, like, you, you still want your fans to not be em- empathetic. Right. What did well, I Dorio say? Green Beckham apathetic, was the not apathetic. The, yeah. Um, Dorio Green Beckham was the number one player in the country, signed with Missouri, one troubled year there, but transferred to Oklahoma. In Mizzou's case, they've actually done a very good job with recruiting outside of this. So this, to me, I think is a, is a, is a stake in the ground. This is a significant commitment, not just because Luther Burden is probably going to be good, and it's that he's not going to Oklahoma anymore. It's that in St. Louis, a five-star prospect chose to go to Mizzou over Georgia. Like that, to me, can be a trend. That's what Mizzou has to do if it wants to be competitive in the SEC. And to me, landing Luther Burden is a far more influential instance of uh, success within a program than beating—I don't know who's on their schedule now—beating Vanderbilt or beating Mississippi State. I mean, I don't know how. They play how... Georgia this week. Good luck. Yeah. But you know what? After they lost to Texas A&M, their head coach got up to the mic and did what he was supposed to do, and that was to discuss the importance of recruiting at a high level. And then two days or three days after he did that, they got burden. And it's like, to me, that is the pulse of a coach that gets it. And to me, I believe that Elijah Drinkwitz will be better off for it. So, boy, that was that was painful. That was a painful week. Yes. Um Want to bring up Ohio State Notre Dame? Bill Landis, you're familiar with his yeah, work. Yeah, Ohio State writer, and Pete Sampson, our Notre Dame writer, had a really good roundtable on recruiting today at the Athletic. And basically, I talked to him about doing it because Ohio State—I mean, Notre Dame—is doing some really good work in recruiting in Ohio, the 22 class and the 23 class. So they go back and forth about budding up, you know, budding into each other. In Ohio, for prospects, a lot of that's Marcus Freeman, you know, former Ohio State and Cincinnati defensive coordinator, Ohio State linebackers, the defensive coordinator in Notre Dame now. But Pete brought up something really interesting that makes sense, but I hadn't thought about. He says, it's funny. We'll talk more about what impact Notre Dame getting into Ohio has hurt Ohio State, but I think the bigger issue is how, Ohio, how much Ohio State getting out of Ohio has hurt Notre Dame. 
you wouldn't think that to be the case. That's that's me talking. This is maybe that's another story for another time. But the kind of talent the Buckeyes are pulling with guys like G. Scott, Steel Chambers, Latham Ransom, Emeka Egbuka. Egbuka. He's a guy that Egbuka. It's one of those guys that I've seen and edited his name a hundred times, but haven't heard it too much. You're not supposed to be a master of how to pronounce everyone's name on earth, so don't feel bad about it. These are the kinds of national prospects Notre Dame needs to land. Not to get all holier than thou here, but there's a limited number of top 100 prospects out there that qualify for Notre Dame. When Ohio State is getting four-star kids from Catholic schools in Atlanta, Seattle, and Philadelphia, that's not good business for Notre Dame. There are more fit players for Notre Dame on the Buckeyes roster than a lot of Irish fans would like to admit. That's just a really fascinating look at how what one program which isn't a rival of Notre Dame they never play really how what Notre Dame Ohio State doing by recruiting nationally has done to impact Notre Dame when I was working at the Cleveland Plain Dealer um, covering Ohio State five six years ago I wrote a story about how before we start this I don't know if you mentioned this in the quote or if I'm just imagining things because I haven't slept in five days but Notre Dame has been by far the most successful program in the country in coming into Ohio and getting players out of Ohio that Ohio State wants. That, that, is, that was the point and of the part of the team. reason for that is because of the I, – I wrote this. The Catholic schools in Ohio were called Notre Dame embassies in my story. They are certain places in, in foreign territory where a foreign place has more connections to those students than the actual state school. And that wasn't always the case because most of the time, Urban Meyer, I'd say 95% of the time, when Urban Meyer was the head coach and wanted somebody in the state of Ohio, he got that kid. But Notre Dame did it because he they had the one thing that some of those kids wanted and Ohio State couldn't give them, and that is to go to a private Catholic high school or college with a good education that provo- promoted and had the same environment that their high school had. So that is how Notre Dame recruits nationally. They go into private high schools all over the country. They sell their environment. This is the same exact scenario as that. So that's 100% astute. Now, I don't know how dramatic that is because there's there's some guys that mentioned there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but there's some top 100 guys that in the past Notre Dame might be able to go to Seattle and get Scott. You know, there's there's guys. And what, what have you written? Notre Dame has a lot of talent. They recruit well. What do they lack? Top 100 guys. Yeah. Michael Mayer, I believe, is the only five-star in their roster right now. But it's also, too, they it's just like those Lathan Ransom went to Catholic South Point High School in Tucson, which was about two miles away from where I went to college, and, like, B. John Robinson was his teammate, and he's at Texas. It's just like there are a lot of instances of this happening, not just at Ohio. I'm not saying that he's wrong, and this is a very astute point, but there are a lot of really, really good players at high schools that play at Catholic private high schools. And Notre Dame, to my, to even though Ohio State is getting some of these guys, I think Notre Dame could be pulling a higher caliber athlete, even in spite of Ohio State. And I don't know what it is because Notre Dame makes the playoff. They offer a great education. Notre Dame, to me, is the epitome of what college football is. Like when you think about college football, what do you think? You think of Notre Dame and the environment they have on that on that campus, the way the buildings look on that campus, everything. The fact that they can't sign a top five class because they have seven top one hundred players is like staggering to me. And I don't know what it is. Is it Ohio State? Is it Texas? Is it not having a connection with these private schools like they used to? I don't know what it is. But Notre Dame should be recruiting better. And I find that to be a fascinating thought process. And it should be a story probably. Well, there's a lot of factors. Yeah. I would say their I mean, their academic pool isn't that small, but it's definitely smaller than most of the schools that they recruit against. And if you add, you know, there's not – Adding two or three more top 100 players per class makes a huge difference. And, you know, who cares what your ranking is, but just in your overall talent. They, like I said, their roster is very good. It's deep. It's just it's lacking in elite players. And we've seen that when they've gotten to the playoff. It's a very good program that's good enough to qualify, that's not necessarily good enough to win a, a couple games in the playoffs. So a um, couple mailbag questions I want to hit on real quick. Um, I pulled these from your recruiting mailbag, Ari, that we uh, – Usually publishes on Tuesday. We're not. We're maybe not going to do it every week, but we're going to do it most weeks going forward. This one is a. I think it's an easy question, but I wanted your thoughts on these two programs. Better job from a recruiting standpoint, Texas Tech or TCU? Uh, TCU, I think. I just think location, I think location, 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 location. Yeah, exactly. I mean, am I wrong on that? No, no, and it's 
it is 20 years ago when TCU was in the Mountain West or Conference USA before that, it was Texas Tech. Which is a but now which is a an ode to what Patterson built there. Yeah. And yeah, I, I don't think there's I think there was someone left that question in your mailbag and then someone else commented like that's a dumb question right underneath. Yeah, you. I didn't I didn't answer it, but I thought you you thought maybe we might be writing a story about that, so I didn't want to answer anything that would be a story. That's why I didn't answer that question. Gotcha. But being in the DFW area, certainly. I mean, look at how SMU is recruiting, and they're not even a Power Five program. So, like TCU, also is. I think if right off the top of my head, like, did you say that SMU was overrated uh, academically? Um, or, not, listen, when it comes to academics. They're not. Did I say that? I don't know. You you said people viewed SMU. I think you did. Maybe somebody else did. Somebody told me that people view SMU academically better than they actually are on paper. Oh, I don't know. Might have been me, but I don't know what they're ranked. I just, yeah, I don't know if I said that. Um, maybe you didn't. But maybe I did. I don't know. TCU and SMU are probably similarly academics, right? I would think so. Pretty close. So Power Five school with cool uniforms or Group of Five school with cool uniforms. I don't know. I love SMU's uniforms. Yeah. The white. They have some of the best uniforms in college football. The ones that say Dallas underneath it. On their, those are yeah, sweet. Those are sweet. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. I don't know, Mitch. Um, Texas Tech. Well, I've never been to Lubbock, but it is it's, far. It's very from remote. Here. Yeah, it's very remote. Yeah. I mean, like you have to basically fly from Dallas, right? Yeah. I mean, I would like to drive there one day. I just think it would be fun to see it. But yes. All right. Here's a question. All right. Every As week Cincinnati- you got to tell the new new listeners what's up with this. Oh, oh, we're not at the oh, trivia oh, yeah. question. Okay. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. We're not, yeah. Um, this is a mailbag question in your written mailbag that you did not answer. You, no, no fault of yours. There's tons of questions in there. As a Cincinnati fan, I've heard you and multiple others say that UC's recruiting will change once they move to the Big 12. And I know you're going to write about this, but why is that? They've recruited well in their area to a worse league and will be recruiting against the same schools regardless of the league. Also, is it possible to see you win some see you see win some recruiting battles for four and five star recruits in Ohio against Ohio State, Kentucky, and other Big Ten schools? That's from Steve M. I'll answer that to start. They will recruit better because there will be some. Now they are recruiting very well for the group of five, but they will start winning more battles against middle and lower tier Power Five teams. We talked about this because it'll be viewed as equal footing. It's just an it's, it's immediate legitimacy. Yes. Yeah. They're not gonna. They're not gonna start beating out Ohio State for five star kids at Ohio State once, but they're going to beat out Kentucky, Missouri, South Carolina, not regularly, but they will be in the the they'll they'll be in the range for those kids. Where for the most part, sure they win some of those battles, but they will be they like you said they'll be on equal footing. Do you agree with that? I am. I think they uh, technically will be on equal footing because they'll be viewed as Power Five school. Power five is not going to exist in a few years once this happens. It's all going away. And I'm not sure how the Big 12 is going to be viewed at that point, but certainly will be viewed better than Cincinnati's. And look, Cincinnati might go undefeated this year, and they're going to get left out of the playoff. They're viewed as a second secondhand citizen in the sport, and whether that's right or wrong, that's the reality of it. And I think if they played TCU, Kansas State, Iowa State, Oklahoma State every year instead of Navy and Tulane and all the teams that they're Tulsa that they're playing, they might be more viewed more legitimately. And of course, anytime you go into a high school and you are trying to sell your program, you want the student athlete that you're recruiting to understand that you're a team that's going to be playing at the highest level. And for as good as Cincinnati is at football right now, they do not play at the highest level. So, um, and they've recruited very well in spite of that. So I anticipate that they will be better off for this move. Now, the second part, will they ever start beating uh, other teams for five-star prospects in Columbus or in Ohio, nobody's taken a five-star prospect out of Ohio instead of Clemson and Notre Dame. So I don't know if that is going to change. I mean, maybe there'll be a five-star player that goes to Cincinnati Elder that, you know, will be down to Notre Dame and Cincinnati and will pick Cincinnati. I mean, I'm not saying it can't happen, but people in Ohio. Is Elder a private school or yes. a public school? I think it's, it's private. I've heard of it. Yeah, I think it's I've private. Heard of it, but. Um, I mean, I know most of the major schools for recruiting, but I just never knew if Elder was public or private. Um, now I'm second-guessing myself. I've been to all these schools a hundred times, and I can't remember. But the point I'm trying to make is, in Ohio, a place that I lived for a decade of my life, kids grow up wanting to go to Ohio State. 
and like that's a cultural thing. People who 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 live in that state have a connection to Ohio State and dream of playing there. And if you're a five star prospect, you want to go to the place that wins national championships and develops most for the NFL. And I just think that fixing that disparity between Cincinnati is a lot more than just one or two good years and a conference switch to the Big Twelve without Texas and Oklahoma. Agree. Ready for your trivia question? We'll tell them what it is. I jumped the gun, but okay. Well, new, every week, I yeah, new listeners. I I ask Ari a trivia question that's basically impossible to get. It's it's just sort of like I've done some research on some recruiting things that interest me, and Ari can take a wild guess. But unless he'd done the research, he's not going to get stuff about like how many programs historically have not signed a five star. How many Power Five programs have not signed a five star prospect? I think that was a couple of weeks ago. Um, stuff like that, some some fun stuff. So this week is just it's a good transition to what we were just talking about. How many top 500 players in the class of 2022 are currently committed to non-power five schools? Top 100 players in this year's class. Top 500 players. Oh, top 500. Yes. So we're talking four stars and then the, the better three stars. Man, that's that's a really really hard. 13. Good guess. 15. Nine are committed to AA schools. SMU. SMU has, there's only two top 300 Alcoholics kids. Anonymous schools? Uh, AAC. Oh, oh, AAC. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I, I, I'm um, I gotta go to bed. <laughs> yeah. Oklahoma, I mean, uh, SMU has two top 300 commits. No one else has a top 300 commit. The school, I won't go over all the kids, but in order, SMU, SMU, UCF, BYU, Cincinnati, BYU, Campbell. I've got Manny Navarro looking into that one. I went around my recruiting writer because this kid's from South Florida. There's a kid from South Florida um, committed to Campbell. Memphis, App State, UCF, Harvard, or the Arizona of the Northeast, Cincinnati, UCF, UCF in Louisiana Tech. So, pretty good. That was a good um, guess. I'm going to go over, since we have some new listeners, I'm going to go over some of my other quick questions that I found uh, that, that I thought were pretty interesting. Uh, we won't go yeah, over go ahead. You know, too, too much detail. Am I going to get to answer them again? Uh, yeah, let's see if you... Uh, where's my uh, my research? I don't know. Did I delete this some of my... Good podcasting. I know this is really okay. How many Power Five schools have not signed a single five star in the modern recruiting? Didn't you ask me this, this last week? Ago. Yeah, last week or two weeks ago. I can't even remember. Thirteen. Indiana, Iowa State, Arizona, Purdue, Vanderbilt, Northwestern, Duke, Minnesota, Wake Forest, Kansas State, Washington State, Utah, and Kansas. Uh, here's a here's a good one. Who is the lowest? See if you remember this one. Who is the lowest rated quarterback to start? And win a national championship game since 2005. It's the Alabama guy. There's been a lot of Alabama no, I, I guys. I can't remember his name. Tua? No. Will you list them so I can tell you? I forget his name. Jake Coker. Yeah, Jake Coker. Yeah. <laughs> I'll forget his name again next week. So yeah, it's just yeah. It's like a history test. You learn and then you go back to sleep. Yeah, this is the last one. This one have been might, might have been the most surprising. The top 25 quarterbacks. In the 247 composite from the class of 2012, how many played it down in the NFL? Yeah. Oh, I'm still trying to remember. remember. I think it was like, yeah. isn't it like five or something? No, it was two. <laughs> yeah, two. Jameis Winston and Chad Kelly. Chad Kelly played one game in 2018. I should no be, stagger. I should be, uh, remembering them that was like a bad yeah you gotta I, like I feel like you, you gotta like i feel like you um are a high school teacher and i'm like the student that can't get it that's that's partially true there's, yeah. there's a lot of truth to well that. how do you think we did for the i think it's pretty good um i think you, you brought some good points there you know you, you brought some fire um yeah i hope that so, the people who are listening now uh understand a little bit of what we're doing uh, that was not we did a little of who committed where but we we'd like to talk about philosophy oh, that's important i mean it's part of the landscape it's all part of it you know? and you need that information to discuss the other things it's like it's one without the other but that's kind of how we approach it right mitch like we're going to talk about why is notre dame not signing more top 100 players you 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 
provide a theory, we talk about that theory. Like that's what this podcast yeah. is and what it's going to continue to be. Um, and most weeks we're probably not going to be gifted with the uh, abundance of discussion topics about coaches saying moronic things. But, you know, hey, this is a good week. We'll to, take we'll it. Take we'll it. take yeah. it. And if you want, um, you can drop questions in Ari's mailbag prompt, which you can find uh, at The Athletic or at Ari Wasserman. At Mitch Light on Twitter, if you want to ask us some questions to bring some topics, happy to talk about them. So um, you made fun of me for my uh, intro, which might have been a little robotic. So let's let's see the smooth Ari Wasserman take us out. Thank you so much for participating to the new time listeners. Thank you so much for listening. If you've already new time listeners, yeah. is that in- yeah first time listeners? Um, new listeners, or thank first you so time much for down for, for downloading <laughs> the podcast. This is smooth. Um, no, really, thanks so much for all the first-time listeners. Thanks so much for everybody who has already been listening. This is a new podcast. We need your support in order to continue to do it, and it seems like things are going so well. Um, this is what we're about. This is what we'll continue to be about, and uh, you know, hopefully next week, all of you that listen today will be back again. Uh, thanks so much, and that was Stars Matter. Stars Matter.